Several years ago, as Pastor Andy mentioned, I was an NBA player, and on the 100-year anniversary of the invention of the sport of basketball, Sports Illustrated put this book out called 100 Years of Hoops. What an original title for the 100-year anniversary of basketball. So my mother-in-law, knowing that I play basketball and love basketball, got me this book. So I got it, and I'm like, oh, that's so wonderful. And the first thing I immediately thought was, I wonder if I'm in it. <laughs> and my biggest fan, my number one cheerleader, the person in my life who has yelled at more referees on my behalf from the stands, my beloved wife, <laughs> laughed at me. <laughs> I'm like, she goes, listen, I mean, I mean, you're a great player and all, but this is a hundred years, so there's only gonna be some people in there. And while you're great and while you're my favorite, you're not that great. <laughs> and she walked out of the room. So I opened the book and I saw that it was arranged by, by topic, like things that related to basketball. So I'm scanning and one's like the fast break and I'm like, I'm not in that one. <laughs> not fast, broken some bones, but that's not, you know, uh, scoring, that is not me. But there was one of the, the captions was the chapter on the blocked shot. Now, you need to know this about me. I am third all time in career block shots at the University of Notre Dame. So I'm like, now, <laughs> other fun fact, I am number one all time still in career fouls. Come on, baby. <laughs> People ask me all the time, do you still play basketball? And I'm like, my game is so broken, the only thing I can still do is take a good flagrant two foul. But anyway, doesn't matter. So I'm like, if I'm anywhere in this, I'm gonna be under the block shot because I'm third all time at Notre Dame. So I flip to the block shot page and right there is a full size color photo of all-time great, like legend of legends, Wilt Chamberlain, going up and blocking a shot from another historic all-time great at the time of his retirement, the leading scorer in NBA history, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I'm like, well, that's a pretty good picture for the block shot. So I flip the page, and there is a full-size color photograph of all-time great and one of my former teammates, Shaquille O'Neal, blocking a shot. And I turn to the next page. And there, on page 55, which just happened to be my jersey number with the Orlando Magic, is this incredible photo. Would you put that up for me, please? Look at that! <laughs> Now, just to be clear, I am not the guy on the left. <laughs> the guy on the left is all-time historic great, and at the time of his retirement, the number one leading shot blocker in NBA history, many of which, with your Atlanta Hawks, Dukembe Mutombo. On the right <laughs> is Notre Dame's third all-time leading yeah. shot blocker, getting his shot blocked. <laughs> now, I made the book, but wait, it gets better. I called my wife in from the other room. I'm like, Jennifer, get in here. And she's like, what? I'm like, 
I'm in the book. And she's like, you are not in the book. And I'm like, look at this, I'm like, look. And my wife, bless her heart, my number one fan, skipped the picture and read the caption, which you may not be able to read from there, but it says, Notre Dame's Keith Tower. Hold on. My picture and my name are in the book. But here's what it says on page 55 of 100 years of hoops. Notre Dame's Keith Tower had no chance to get this shot over Matambo in the 1989 NCAA tournament. No chance. But my picture and my name are in the book, baby. Leave that up if you would for just a second. Because we're in a series called Set Apart where we're talking about holiness, about being a distinct people. And sometimes when you're talking about holiness or being distinct, being the people of God, it, it, it's, it's difficult to talk about holiness without also talking about things like sin and repentance and God's redemptive story. And those don't always feel great. And when you're talking about something like holiness or being a distinct people of God, we can tend to have one of two reactions to that. We can feel great about our holiness. Or we can feel like I got no chance at being among the holy. Now, can I tell you why I'm in this book? It is not because I was a perfect player. Can I tell you why you're not in the book or why you're in the book? It's not because you're perfect. Can I tell you how I did get in the book though? The same way if you know that you're not perfect and you're wondering if you could ever be in the book, I'm in the book by the choice of the author. And can I tell you holiness is you agreeing with the choice of the author and perfecter of your faith. None of you are good enough to get in the book, but none of you are so far gone where there's actually no chance. In fact, with no chance is exactly the kind of people that the author chooses for his book. So here's what I wanna burn into your minds today. That's you. That's you, people of God, chosen. Among any other photographs, among all the other universities with a third leading shot blocker or whatever your statistics, unimpressive though they might be, might be, that's you. And guess what, baby? If Jesus is Lord of your life, you're in the book. Your picture, your name, and it is not based on what you have done, but strictly on the choice the good choice of the author. Pastor Andy has defined holiness for us as we're working our way through this series by saying holiness is God's people experiencing God's presence as they live out God's purpose. In the next two weeks, he's gonna talk about God's presence and living out God's purpose. What he's asked me today to do is to talk to you about God's people. So we're gonna talk about how we can end up not being God's people and then we're gonna talk about how we do end up being God's people. You okay with that? Yeah. We're gonna be in Genesis chapter three because we might as well go right to the beginning of when people 
enter God's story. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Skip ahead past a little bit of dialogue to verse 21. Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1, says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Fast forward to verse 21, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Up until this point in the creation story, and Pastor Andy talked about it last week, we have God and he's created humanity and he's put him in a garden. And the only adjective that's used to describe anything that's been created up until this point in time is good. Everything was good. God made it, God inspected it, God said it was good. In fact, eight times in Genesis chapter one and chapter two, the preceding chapters, eight times God made something, inspected it, and said it was good. The first time he says something other than that is when he makes humanity the pinnacle of his creation, and he uses a slightly different word that could be translated as either very good or awesome. So it's amazing. All that exists up until this moment in history is good and very good. There's no sin, there's no dysfunction, there's no depression, there's no anxiety, there's no violation, there's no brokenness, it's good. So the question is, what the heck happened? How did we get from good and awesome to what you and I experience on a daily basis? Where did brokenness come from? Where did insecurity come from? Where did pettiness come from? Where did jealousy come from? Where did every form of unholiness that we both do and hear about, where did the violations that we both perpetrate and have received and have read about, where did that come from? And as we take a look at the original story of it, what you're gonna find is it didn't just originate here. We have a very unoriginal adversary and the same thing plays out on a daily basis in our lives. And from that flows all things that we would consider contrary to good and awesome. Now, on its face value, it's a pretty basic story, right? The general details of this is referred to scripturally as the fall or the fall of man. And here's essentially what happened. Satan deceived Eve. Eve and Adam ate the forbidden fruit and disobeyed God, and God sent them out of the garden. 
pretty basic, but there's a whole lot more going on if we start to crack this thing open a little bit. And what we're going to see is we're going to see how people fall away. We're going to see what people do when they've fallen away. And we're going to see what God does to restore those who have fallen away. Pat starts off in verse 1 and says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent. Revelation 12.9 tells us that the serpent was the devil. So it's the devil in the form of a serpent. I don't know what exactly that looks like. Can't be good. Right? So it's not just a random snake. It's the devil as a serpent. And the text says that he was, he was crafty compared to the other beasts of the field that the Lord had made. It's crucial if we're going to live fully as God's people that we understand that our adversary, the devil, is in fact a created being. He's not the same as God. He's not equal to God. It's not this colossus cosmic arm wrestling match between two behemoths and it's like, who's going to win? There is a God who created all the beasts among the beasts is the serpent is the devil. He's created. He does not have the same attributes that your God does. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-present, and he is not all-powerful. And I know what you're saying. It sure feels like he is. Well, that's because, according to this text, he's crafty. And crafty simply means here that he exists to deceive. And he's been crafty for a lot longer then you've tried to not be crafty. It appears that he knows everything about you because he's been studying human nature since the first humans. And there are things that are common to fallen people, and he just observes those. And he just brings them to you, and it feels new and original. And for him, it's the, oh, we got to do the same old boring thing again. He studies human nature, and he works deceptively to remove God's people from God's presence and God's purpose. Yeah, that's right. That's all he does. And look at the first thing that he says. I find it interesting is the very first words that we have from the serpent is to question is to question God's words. Did God actually say, "You shall not eat from any tree in the garden"? Now this is fascinating because what God actually said in Genesis two seventeen is, "You can have it all." God actually said, look at all these trees, every type of tree that's existed. You can have of those. You can eat of their fruit. You can enjoy what they produce. They're all amazing. Oh, by the way, don't, don't, don't eat this one. Look at all these other ones you can have. And just look at the nature of the question is not to say, wow, did God say you can't have that one? It's did God say you can't have all of them? God said you couldn't have One, but when the question is reframed, did God say you can't have all of them? It starts to view, starts to shift how you view what God said you can have and do. And this is common for us today because God points us to unequivocally in scripture, the ways of life, the ways of freedom, the ways of victory, the ways to overcome. But because he's a good God, he also lets you know what doesn't work. 
That's not mean, that's not cruel, I appreciate that. I'm gonna hop on 75 after service and I'm gonna head to warmth by, <laughs> praise Jesus, the only place that's not frozen. And I am gonna be grateful when Siri says turn right and if I accidentally turn left, she will go, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around, don't go north. I am gonna appreciate that if I make that mistake, wouldn't you? Because I can't imagine what it's like in Tennessee. <laughs> the fact that God tells us, look at the way to life. By the way, go that way. This isn't the way of freedom. Yeah. That's going to hurt you. It's not him being mean. It's him being incredibly kind. But the words of the serpent make it sound like the fact that he's offering all you, all this is freedom, is him being unkind because he won't let you have that. Isn't that crazy? And how often do we bite on that one? Goes on in verse two. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Just a little side note, the fact that she's entertaining a conversation um, or that she's answering the question, shows that she's entertaining a conversation with a creature that's craftier than she is. You ever gotten into a conversation with somebody who's just way verbally quicker than you are? Next thing you know, you just agreed to something that you're like, I, no, I didn't, how, how did we just get here? Right, you start going, hey, and next thing you know, and you're like, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, and you're there. <laughs> and you're like, don't go in those. Certainly with a crafty serpent. I have a, had a friend growing up that was the world's greatest trash talker. I mean, trash talk is my love language. Like, I love it, it's the greatest, and I am pretty darn good. But this guy was unbelievable. And he was on my basketball team and it was like, you know, guys would trash talk and then he'd come in, everybody would be like, nope. Like nobody would even utter trash talk because you don't want to get him started because he will have everyone in the room crying to mama. I mean, he was, he was quick and he was vicious at the same time. So, you know, you know if, if he was ever getting on somebody, you'd like join his side and like rag on them too. Because you just didn't, you didn't want to be in front of when he got going. He was just verbally quick. And by the way, that is our adversary. If you entertain conversation with him, if you entertain propositions he puts your way, you're going to lose that discussion, people of God. Here's something interesting too. She answers him by saying, yeah, we might eat of the fruit which means that she was actually familiar with the command that God had given in Genesis 2.17 about not eating of that tree. She was familiar with it. Even acknowledged that there was authority to it. She was familiar with it. But it wasn't given to her. That command was actually given to the man. Which means you and I don't do well being the people of God when we just get God's word secondhand. You have a fabulous preacher week in and week out. 
And when he's not preaching, you got great preaching. We can, you guys are outstanding in this pulpit. Or Amy's preaching. You get great preaching. But can I tell you, if the only time you hear from God is when somebody else has studied and tells you what God said, you're going to end up in trouble. Because if they can talk you into it, a crafty serpent can talk you out of it. You need God's word for yourself. You need to open it yourself. You need to read in black and white and have God speak to you through those words. Now, Pastor Andy and Pastor Jason, they study it differently. Their education base is different. So they're going to mind things out and they'll help explain things. But you got to hear it first from God if you're going to hold on to it. And then note this. I don't know if it's still up there. You shall not eat of the tree, neither shall you touch it. God actually didn't command them that. She added it. Can I just help you understand something? God's word does not need your help. You don't have to enhance it. You don't have to improve it. The command was don't eat of that. And she goes, God said, because I overheard, (laughs) don't eat of it and don't touch it. One of the greatest jeopardies Christians have today is modifying God's word. God's word does not need the help of culture to make it be more relevant. God doesn't need you to put extra boundaries beyond what his word says. His word is perfect in all of its ways and in every instruction that he gives it, that that, that is pertained in it. So just follow it and don't modify it and don't help it. If you do, you're setting yourself up to struggle with being God's people. Because whatever you add to it diminishes it. All right, let's just keep moving, shall we? Let's look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's amazing here how the serpent goes from questioning what God said to questioning what God will do. (laughs) You won't surely die. If you want to remain the people of God, you need to understand that God's serious when he says what sin produces. Because you know know how you, you are afraid to sin and then you try it once and then you're worried about a lightning bolt or your spouse finding out or your family unraveling on the one sin and it doesn't happen right away. And if you're not careful, you can start to think that you and God have some type of groovy kind of love that is actually contrary to what scripture says and that what he says is not going to come to pass. It's a lie. It's a lie. The enemy first challenges God's word, then he challenges what God will do. And look at this. This is amazing to me. Here's what God's, why God doesn't want you to do it. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
Now at the beginning of the message, I mentioned up until this moment in all of human history, all that they knew was, does anybody remember what they knew? Good. Eight times. Anything God made, he inspected it and said it was good. It, oh, they also knew very good. Sorry, my bad. They knew good and they knew very good. And now look what he says. Here's, what, here's the deal. If you eat of this, you will know good and what did they already know? What is the only thing they knew? And he's promising them the knowledge of which they already had. <clears throat> Come on. Which means they already have the knowledge of good, and he's offering them the knowledge of good and evil, but they already have good. What's really the only thing he's offering them? <laughs> Correct. The root of every temptation to sin that you will ever face is found right here. The root of every temptation, the root of every decision you're currently contemplating, the root of every decision, the root of every sin is this, that something good can come from disobeying God. It can't. Good cannot come from disobeying God. All you will get from disobeying God is the knowledge of good and evil. And can I tell you, if you're obeying God, you have the knowledge of good. That's what we call a sucker's bet. Hey, here's a good deal for you. You can get two things. I know you already have one, but we can give you a second one. But the second one's bad. And then watch this. For God knows that when you eat of it. Just the, 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 by, by putting those words in, for God knows, immediately puts God in this position of he's holding back on you. He's holding back. He won't let you have. Can I tell you, that is actually true. God is holding back. God is desiring to hold back from his people the experience of evil. He is desiring that you would not have to walk in the shame of evil, that you would not have to experience the brokenness of relationships as you perpetrate and receive evil in them. The effects on your body, the humiliation, he actually is trying to hold that back. Oh, what a mean God. <laughs> it was true for them, and it's true for you. God wants you to experience the fullness of his presence, the fullness of his purposes, the full delight of God. God Almighty who made you and made the world and knows exactly how you're supposed to function in it. He wants you to experience good. And he would love that you would not experience the humiliation that comes from the experience of evil. That's true. And yet somehow when temptation comes, 
We think that, you know, like, like if I just withhold forgiveness in this relationship, it'll get better. It'll show them. It'll heal my heart. It'll protect me. Nothing good can come from disobeying God. That's a lie. The only thing that can come from disobeying God is in fact the knowledge of evil. And can I just tell you that, people of God, the tactics of the serpent are still true today. Question God's word, minimize the cost of disobedience, and paint a false reality of freedom apart from God. That's the challenge you face. I'll say that again. The tactics of the serpent still ring true today. Question God's words. Minimize the cost of disobedience and paint a false reality of freedom apart from God. That's how we end up not God's people. Well, this is how we end up not God's people. That's what the enemy does. Becoming not God's people comes when we bite on that. So let's take a look at that. So when the woman saw, verse 6, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. When you start to consider that which God has restricted your mind will start to look at it in a new light. Adam and Eve were told to not to eat of that tree, so all they looked at was all the trees they were allowed to eat. Once they start to consider that tree that was restricted, they start to see it differently. Remember, Eve said of that tree, man, we're not supposed to eat it. We're not even supposed to touch it or we'll die. Like, the, the, the holiness of it, if you will, had, had grown to where, like, I'm not even going to consider it. Like, I'm not even going to touch it. Yeah. Now she turns and starts to look at it and look at some of the words she's now using about it. Not deadly. Good. Delightful. Go back, if you would, sir. Go back. There we go. It was good. It's a delight. It's to be desired. She's starting to consider something. She's starting to ponder something. She's noticing attributes that she had never seen before. And now she's starting to trust what she sees and what she desires above what God had definitively said. She saw. Mm. And not only, this is amazing, because she ate, and not only did she sin, but she also passed it on to her husband, and he ate. And the text says that Adam was with her. Can I just beg you, please, be the kind of person that when somebody is about to sin and fall, that you don't sit there and just watch them and stare at them. Adam is right there. Bro. 
grab that snake and get it, get out of my garden. He is standing there watching his, li- his wife be manipulated into disobeying God and bringing about the experience of evil. Please, high point, be the kind of people that will lay down in front of others before they eat. Your pastor is that kind of man. Well, Pastor Andy's just all up in my stuff. Heck yes, because he loves you. He loves you. That will destroy you. That will remove what God is trying to do. It will give you a different experience that God is trying to withhold called sin and destruction. Please be that kind of person that goes, no! I mean, Eve would have to be doing, do, like being yanked. Yeah. He's just standing there going, oh, good, yeah, good, good point. I mean, I could see it that way. Bro. <laughs> Verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves a loincloth. Their eyes were both opened. This is an interesting little phrase because it's actually what the serpent told him would happen. Your eyes will be opened. Can I tell you, most of his lies contain a measure of truth. That's why they're enticing. If he said, jump off this building because you'll be able to fly, you're going to go, that literally doesn't make any sense. But if he tells you something that is partially true, then you can disobey God much easier. He told him their eyes would be opened, and this passage says after they ate, their eyes were opened. The problem is, and he told them the truth, knowledge of good and evil, and now they go, uh, uh, oh. By the way, notice whose eyes were opened. Both of them. It's not God's eyes who were opened. It's theirs. What are you talking about, Pastor Keith? Have you ever felt like, well, I can't, I can't come to church because I'm sinning and God's going to be unhappy with me? Let me help you out. His eyes are already opened. I can't come to the church because they're going to shame me. No, your shame is because your eyes are opened to you. We back up from God because we see ourselves now in relation to God. God doesn't go... I now see that you're sinners. Stay away. Y'all are not getting this. Shame is self-induced. It's, it's, it's seeing myself now and backing away from God, but blaming God for not letting me come to him. All right, you don't get it yet, so let's just press in a little further. You okay with that? Their shame was not the result of God seeing them. Please hear me. God hasn't seen them yet. Their shame is not the result of God seeing them. It was the result of them seeing themselves with sin now in the picture. And if you go hide from God or back away from the church because of things you're doing, you're making a very big mistake. 
This church ain't judging you. They're going to call you to be the people of God. All right, let's keep going. Verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord. Wow, this has gotten way too long. I am so sorry. Hang in there. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Adam and his wife recognized them that it was the Lord, and they hid themselves. Adam tells us in verse 10 why they did it. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Friends, don't miss this. Before God removed them from the garden, they hid themselves from God. The shame that comes from sin isn't God kicking you out, it's you kicking yourself out. <laughs> God didn't remove them initially. Initially, they removed themselves because sin drives us away. Let's go on to verse 9. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in a garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. How do we end up fallen? We have a very crafty enemy who you need to pay zero attention to. Don't listen to him. What happens when we do listen to him? Because what he's offering sounds good. Um, the natural reaction is to step away from God. It's to hide. It's to duck. It's to get afraid of God, despite the only thing God ever doing toward you and in your direction, in your presence, is good. But can I tell you, God's got a plan. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter how many times you have this process of believe the lie, think it's going to produce something, realize it didn't, be ashamed and embarrassed, and remove yourselves from God, despite how many times that process happens, God does two things relentlessly. Number one, he pursues. Look at this. The Lord calls to the man. He comes after him with full knowledge. When God asks questions, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's trying to bring us to revelation. So he knows exactly what happened, and yet he comes in pursuit. Oh, people of God, if you don't have a chance because Matambo's throwing your junk in the third row, God is in pursuit. Always. A holy God's merciful pursuit of a hidden, sinful man is what you see here. And by the way, is what you see in the rest of your Bible, every single page, and it's what you see every day in the history of humanity for all time. A holy God in pursuit of a sinful, hidden person. What a God. I'm just being honest. I would have given up a long time ago. I'm so glad he's not like us. Here's the other amazing thing that we see there is God's mercy. God's mercy. Now, I'm going to step outside of scripture for a minute and I'm going to give you a personal musing. This is my thought. This isn't the Bible, but it's consistent with humanity and it might be a thought you have from time to time. 
I heard the sound of you, and I was afraid, and I hid myself. Why was he afraid? It tells us in verse 10, because he was naked, but, but I can't help but wonder, just me. God had never given them any reason to be afraid. This is actually the first mention of fear in all of human history. He was afraid of a God who had always been good, right, and perfect toward him. And he's afraid. I wonder why he's afraid. This is my thought. It's not the Bible. You know why I think he was afraid and hid? My personal opinion? He thought God was going to kill him. Work with me here for a second. Don't eat of that fruit or you will surely die. Chomp. I'm still alive. The fruit didn't kill me, but God said I was going to die from this action. Uh-oh, here comes God. And I, I'm reading that into that because that's how I react oftentimes yeah. when I disobey God. I'm afraid he's mad at me. I'm afraid he's going to exact vengeance upon me. I'm afraid his justice is going to smite me. I get afraid that God's going to remove his hand of blessing from me. I get afraid of God all the time, and I'll bet if you're honest, you do too. When you blow it and you know you blew it, how many of you get afraid that maybe he's not going to kill you, but all the, the things of Scripture are going to come raining down upon you? I do. And i got to think if Adam was afraid, maybe that entered his mind. God's coming to kill me. Look at verse 21 as we start to land this plane. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. They sewed together some fig leaves, not a, insufficient. They hid, tried to cover their nakedness, didn't work. How many of you have tried to hide your mistakes before God. Doesn't work. And God said, surely you're going to die. They're afraid he means he's going to kill them. But look what God does. He kills something innocent instead. You don't get skins of an animal without first taking that innocent animal's life. God, oh, somebody hear me now. This is how we remain the people of God despite doing what the people of God oftentimes do. Is that God is willing to let the death that should be yours fall on one that's innocent so that he can provide for you cover that you're incapable of providing for yourself. God's preaching the gospel pre-Jesus. Your sin has created for you a real mess. And look what he doesn't do. He doesn't close their eyes back up. He doesn't go, you know, like your mom used to, I can get that smudge off. 
He deals with the present reality of their condition and he lets his anger and death that has to happen because he's true to his word, he lets it fall on one that's not them. Oh, so that he could bring from that one that is not them something that can cover them so they don't have to stand before him in shame. Wow, what a God. What a God. Yeah, he's once again holding back all that humiliation that our brokenness produces, isn't he? So that he can see you not like you see you. Patrick, can you help me out? Could you put that picture back up again from the very beginning? (laughs) That is like my career encapsulated right there. (laughs) That is my life story right there. And it's yours. We've all bought the lie. I can get this shot off. I can be the hero in this moment. We've all fallen for it. And then it doesn't work. But can I tell you, a relentless pursuing God, willing to let something else die in your place, willing to let someone, innocent in all his ways, die in your place, so that your life looks like that to you? But to him? By his choice. By his editorial decision. That even though you had no chance, he thought this is going to be epic. God has made you to be his people. Now and for all time. Here's the other thing. He's made a lot of people walking around here that aren't in here today to be his people. And they might be hiding due to brokenness. They might be hiding due to humiliation. They might be hiding due to an awareness that how could I ever go to church? It's probably better for me to stay away from God because I know how God has to look at me. Can I tell you how he looks at you? Not like you look at you. He'll cover. He'll shed the blood of another. Holiness isn't that complicated. It truly is God's people. Experiencing God's presence, as you'll learn next week, to fulfill God's purposes. Just be the people of God. (laughs) Jesus, we love you. You're amazing. Your word is true in all, every bit of it. You don't need our help adding to it. You don't need our help making it more palatable. It's just true. And the truth is, what you ask of us and what you call us to is good. It's the ways of life. It's the road to freedom and victory and overcoming and everything you hold back from us actually would work contrary to 
us experiencing life and faith and freedom and victory. And even though we make that choice from time to time, hopefully less than we used to, maybe in a different way than we once did, I thank you that you made the sacrifice that we can always, in Christ, be and remain your people. In Jesus' name.